Back off that mic, brother. Back off that mic a little. Today is the 9th of March, 2021, Tuesday in the third week of Lent, Feast of St. Francis of Rome. Francis with an E, Francis the girl, Francis, not the the Argentinian, not the Argentinian who runs around in a white cassock for some reason that fewer and fewer people are able to understand at this point. (laughs) Ants cutting to the chase. Welcome to episode number 140 of the Barnhart podcast. This is Mark Doherty, obviously alongside Anne and alongside Dr. Edmund Matza. Hello, doctor. Hey, guys. Oh, you're hot. You're hot, Dr. Matza. It's the, he's taking his nickname Maserati really seriously <laughs> lately. So <laughs> back, back off that mic, brother. Back off that mic a little bit. Just a little. Just, just a little. A little. <laughs> How's that? That That's sounds good. good. Still That's hot? Good. Oh, a, l- a little bit, but you know, it's intrinsic to your nature, Dr. Matza. So, you know, <laughs> we're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> So, folks, a lot of ground to cover, uh, a lot of current events since the last podcast, uh, starting off with a blockbuster post from Father Zulsdorf at, at his blog, uh, broaching the the uh, substantial error phrase that we will go through uh, so, some interesting interesting insights uh, the, from Father Z. We've also got a brand new book, or the English translation at any rate is brand new, out of Colombia from Estefania Acosta, titled Benedict the Sixteenth, Pope question mark emeritus. Uh, we'll be diving into that as well as some uh, other recent comments from uh, Antonio Sochi and some others. So let's get right into it. Yeah, let's go. Doc, where would you like right. to start? Yeah, so I thought we could start with Father Z's article because his piece from March 5th is actually about Antonio Sochi's piece. Um, so Father Z says, uh, basically, this is a reaction from Antonio Sochi to the, uh, that famous interview now uh, between uh, Pope Benedict, uh, Archbishop Ganswine, and uh, the Italian newspaper reporter from Pereira. Corriere della Sera. Very good. Um, And in which, you know, the big banner headline is, only one is Pope. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so Father Z's comment on that is, uh, what would have been news would have been a statement from Benedict that, quote, there is only one Pope, and Francis is he, not I, and I have nothing to do with the papacy now, unquote. But uh, I believe Benedict has never said anything like that. Uh, he certainly, now, now I'm talking, not Father Z. Um, it's true. It, uh, Benedict does not say that in this interview, nor has he said it in the past. And what I did was I, I Kindle searched the 2017 uh, Seawold uh, Benedict book in English. And I also Kindle searched the uh, 2020 Seawold Benedict book in German. And according to my reckoning, not once in the whole book from 2017 does Benedict himself call Francesco Pope Francis. And only once did I find it in the 2020 book. Uh, And as Father Z likes to write 
in, in his first piece and in his subsequent pieces, uh, I would have liked to have heard that on a you know re- recording, uh, whether audio or video, from his own lips. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it, it should be stated before we delve too much further into this that pretty much everyone who read that Corriere interview, the one that, that, that within the last week, everybody's looking at that and saying, you know, that really doesn't sound like Ratzinger at all, um, especially the part about him him calling people um, who are questioning his resignation fanatics and things like that. Ratzinger is, was, always has been, you know, leave aside any, any misgivings you have about his activities in, in the 1960s or anything like that. Just leave that aside for a second. The man is a consummate gentleman, a complete and total gentleman, and nobody, including his enemies, has ever said anything other than the fact that Ratzinger is a complete gentleman. For him to call anyone like that a fanatic is so out of character with him, and everyone agrees with this, and including people who, who know him personally, that this is, this is borderline impossible for the man to have actually said this. That's red flag number one. Then his statements about Biden being, uh, what did they, what did he call Biden? Not, not just practicing. He used another, another adjective, observant, observant, observant. an observant Catholic. Are you kidding me? This guy is the biggest pro-abort. He has quote unquote officiated at two sodomite, um, uh, pseudo marriages, aping the sacrament of marriage, which is mortal sin. Um, I don't believe for one second that Pope Benedict said or believes that Joe Biden is an observant Catholic. I don't. I don't believe this. And and everybody is looking askance at this. So we just have to enter into this conversation, just making it clear to the listenership whether or not Pope Benedict even said any of these things. That question in and of itself is on the table, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to dive into it and look at what was reported. And this, and as Dr. Matza said, this absolutely bizarre and habitual um, failure to to speak clearly and forthrightly. And it even says in the interview that he 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 slammed his hand down on the on the arm of the chair. There is only one pope. Dot dot dot. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I've been known to slam my hand down on this table that I'm sitting at and do all kinds of things. He never says it. And at this point, I think what what goes through my mind is that this is. This is the Holy Ghost at work. And, you know, I've had a, just a tiny bit of, of back and forth with, with Father Z. And uh, what I keep saying is Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. If I think that we, I think it's very possible that we are observing in real time manifestation of the Petrine promise and the Holy Ghost is at work. And this this habitual lack of clarity is is actually the Holy Ghost and the divine providence, you know, just making sure that lies are not told about about the state of the papacy and the identity of the vicar of Christ. 
a couple other red flags uh, for me were, uh, well, you know, Benedict's words just come out in droplets, and they often have to be interpreted by Archbishop Ganswan. Mm. Oh boy, that mm. is uh, that's problematic. The other thing, and I, I don't know if it was, I think it was Sochi that pointed this out. 2,500 words in this piece, 2,000 of them are from the interviewer, mm-hmm. not the interviewee. Right. That seems a bit odd. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's sketchy to say the least. And don't forget, I mean, we've caught, Ganswine has been caught lying. I mean, so much happens that so much water goes under the bridge that's easy to forget about things that have happened. If you all remember, right before the corona scam started in January of 2020 was the huge kerfuffle about the fact that Cardinal Sarah and Pope Benedict wrote a book together defending priestly celibacy and Ganswine got caught lying about this red-handed and going back and forth well yes yes Pope Benedict wrote it wrote it no he didn't yes he did no I mean the guy is completely untrustworthy and it's one of the prophecies is it is it Emmerich or I can't remember I think it's Emmerich where she says the Holy Father is surrounded by people that that are not trustworthy that he can't trust and I mean, that to me, that's just Ganswine, 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 Ganswine in neon in neon letters. Um, so it's it's really unfortunate that he's. People say, well, oh come on, you're you you conspiracy theorists are saying that Pope Benedict is like it's like he's he's imprisoned. Yeah, that is kind of what we're saying in a certain sense he is, because if Ganswine is just absolutely controlling and putting words in his mouth and and gatekeeping everything and ticket taking everything, then yeah, in a certain sense, the Holy Father Pope Benedict is in prison because he can't there's no ability for him to speak freely without Ganswine um, editing it, putting words in his mouth, et cetera, et cetera. That is a type of imprisonment. It really is hard to know what's going on with Ganswine. Um, he reminds me a little bit of, uh, in the early seasons of The X-Files, uh, Detective Chief Skinner at the FBI. The people weren't sure if Skinner was helping Mulder and Scully or trying to sabotage them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you think about it, it was it was Ganswine's speech at the Greg in 2016 that really opened the floodgates. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I mean, that wasn't that what motivated you guys to first realize what's going on yeah, here, that right? Was, it was me. I I was I went public. That speech was on the 20th of May, and I went public. Um, I think three weeks later, and then Mark, you took you took a few more months after that, but yeah. Um, yeah, Mark took a year after that. Yeah, Mark's a so little slow. You can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was behind you, but um, so it, it's hard to know if if he's doing what he's doing to protect Benedict, uh, or is he part of the conspiracy against Benedict? It's very hard to know what's going on, but mm-hmm. uh, we're we're right not to. No, this doesn't pass the smell test, no matter what you say. And also, Dr. Taylor Marshall the other day brought up something that was interesting, that that, that this newspaper, which is supposed to be kind of center-left, uh, back in the 1980s, was infiltrated by P2 Italian Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think we can trust the reporter just because he's... Uh, 
you know, he's not uh, Scalfari, you know? Well, I mean, what, what mainstream media organ at this point do any of us trust? I mean, I don't trust the Wall Street Journal. I, I mean, clearly Fox News is completely gone. I cannot name one major secular media organ that I, that I trust, not one. And that's, you know, that's kind of a testament to the times that we live in, um, the diabolical disorientation, and the fact that just simple, simple information is, is now completely up in the air. Um, the, the emergence of deep fake videos and things like that, it's, and it's only going to get worse. And I, we've talked about this on um, previous episodes of the Barnhart podcast with Super Nerd. I don't, I don't know what episode, but we've talked about the fact that it's only going to get worse knowing w- what exactly is going on, who said what, is that even real? I mean, there was stuff going on during during the election just a few months ago with Trump and everything, where you would look at videos and, and it was clearly in front of a green screen, but was it was it deep faked or was it actually Trump speaking in front of a green screen? You literally can't tell anymore. And so I think it's all part and parcel of Satan's plan to just get everybody so completely disoriented that people literally cannot tell up from down. And it's the best we can do is just keep going forward and just keep parsing this stuff the best we can. Those Trump speeches really were strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the two camera jobs that yeah. clearly were in front of a green screen. Yeah. Man, what, that the need for that. That was one of them or... where his head was floating on his shoulders. You could see the head moving, you know, as as a deep fake. And I, I, what do you do? I mean, what literally, what do you do where you have the entire um, government media combine screaming down your throat 24-7 that if you ask any questions about any of this, that you're an insane tinfoil-hatted conspiracy theorist, the constant gaslighting. Now, like, I'm not terribly susceptible to gaslighting, but most people are, and that's obviously the case. I mean, it's, it's the whole COVID thing is a complete gaslighting situation. All of that, I mean, and on and on, and people can't tell up from down, right from left. They don't know from whence the sun rises anymore. So uh, parsing, parsing this and the identity of the vicar of Christ on earth, I mean, we everybody's going to require supernatural help just to get through this, which is why you've got to stay close to the sacraments and why you've got to be praying the rosary. You have no chance unless you are, unless you are close to the sacraments to even you, you, we need the help of the Holy ghost at this point, just, just to get through the news each day. And even if we take this, go ahead, Dr. Mata, go. I was going to say, even if we take, even if we took the interview at face value, um, Benedict can be using the word Pope equivocally. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, you know, in, in the uh, Seewold interview, uh, the most recent one in German, um, Seewold is asking Ratzinger about his use of Pope Emeritus. And he says, but does that term, is that applicable to the Pope? Because, uh, you know, there's, there's bishop emeritus, unfortunately, uh, or bishops emeritus, I should say, since the Vatican II. Um, and Benedict replies, it is not clear why this legal figure should not be applied to the bishop of Rome either. So, at least in that instance, 
Benedict is using the word Pope to refer to Bishop of Rome, maybe not necessarily Vicar of Christ, but that gets us into the Maza hypothesis, which mm -hmm. we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, or, or again, um, there's a quote here um, where Benedict, again, if we can believe that it's Benedict saying this and not the Benedict bot, um, this word emerito meant that he was no longer an active bishop but was in the special relationship of a former bishop to his seat, the need was taken to, to define his office in relation to a real diocese without making him a second bishop of his diocese. So the way I in interpret this is that, um, uh, well, let me just finish the quote here. He says, so there are not two bishops, but there is a spiritual mandate the essence of which is to serve from the inside, from the Lord, in praying with and for his previous bishopric. This legal spiritual form uh, avoids any thought of a coexistence of two popes. A bishopric can only have one owner. So, I don't know if you guys want to comment on that. Well, the first thing I'd point out is that, you know, these interviews... Uh, with Seawald at least, it, it's not as if there's any surprised questions or trick questions, but the way he chose to answer that, the one-liner that he gave uh, in terms of it's not clear why this legal figure should not be applied to the Bishop of Rome either, he's sort of answering the question and he's sort of making a mess of it. Mm -hmm. If we're separating Bishop of Rome from the term Pope and saying Bishop of Rome is only part of being Pope, you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's it's this habitual, forgive me, and there's people, every time I say something like this, I get I get hate mail from people saying, why, why are you constantly running down the Germans? Well, first of all, I'm ethnically German, so I think I get to do that a little bit. But number two, because it's true, this, this incapacity to speak clearly and thinking that you're just, you're demonstrating your dazzling, dazzling superior intellect by answering a yes or no question with 2,500 words that leads that leaves everyone far more confused after you said something than before when all it required was a yes or no answer. Um, the other thing, I saw somewhere, I don't know if it was on Father Z or somewhere, someone made a point about um, professors emerit, emeritus emeriti. Um, in a university system, a professor emeritus is a professor who is retired, but he's called back to work, and it's generally to do stuff within the department, like supervise grad students and things like that. So even even the term emeritus implies that he he's still he's been called back and he's he's still doing work. He's not uh, he's not teaching a full professor, probably not doing any research or anything like that. But he is doing stuff like supervising grad students, which kind of is is a similar thought and idea to what I think Ratzinger was trying to do in his you know cutesy poo partial retirement. I'm going to go over here and pray and be the spiritual pope and you know, do the, do the chillax things that don't require, you know, me flying to World Youth Day in Brazil and getting jet lag, and then someone else can do, can do the active ministry. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting that someone pointed that out, that even within the context of the university system and those professors, that the, the term emeritus does imply that, that the guy is doing something. He's been called, he's still working. 
Well, even taking it a step further to Bishop Emeritus, even if that Bishop Emeritus isn't working, isn't active, he ontologically remains a bishop, which is the which is really at the crux of what we're talking about here. Yeah. He's still calling himself Pope. Yeah. And I think it goes back to you. I think this is your original. This is what you pivoted on, Mark, and what you really zoomed in on. Bishops are consecrated and anointed. It is an ontological change. Once you are made a bishop, no matter what happens, you will always be a bishop, even if you're deposed like um, like McCarrick. McCarrick is still ontologically a bishop, and he will appear before Christ at his particular judgment as a bishop. And if McCarrick doesn't repent, he will burn in hell as a bishop, um, which is often depicted in in art, (laughs) interestingly enough. Lots and lots of depictions of um, mitered bishops roasting in hell. I wonder why (laughs) in in the artistic patrimony. Um, So... The whole thing about, and Mark, you th- your initial and, you know, continuing point that you're making about substantial error vis-a-vis Ratzinger is that, and, and, this, and he said this explicitly in the February 27, 2013 um, final audience, that he, he believes that the always is also a forever. There's no going back which Mark points out is actually wrong in terms of the papacy because the papacy is a juridical office that you can you can resign and and if you validly resign you totally cease to be the pope if you validly resign it's not an ontological change it is not the fourth level of ordination being deacon priest bishop and then a fourth level pope no 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 it's not a fourth level of sacramental ordination at all it's a juridical office and so if ratzinger believed and believes but actually present tense doesn't matter what matters is february of 2013 if ratzinger believed that he that it was not possible to fully resign, then that means that his his um, resignation was proffered in substantial error and was therefore invalid. And we just keep coming back to substantial error over and over and over again. It's good to see Father Z, especially, you know, really he he dropped that that term multiple times in his post and said, "Yeah, if we it, go back into the yeah." If we go back into the into the post, mm-hmm. he he says Sochi then goes into the question of whether or not acceptance of the Petrine ministry at the election is irrevocable. Uh, After all, in his last audience, Benedict said that it was forever, which suggests that Benedict thinks that the Petrine ministry is like to the ontological change that comes with ordination. Mm -hmm. Um, And just... All right, folks, ontological, we've, you, it's a fancy word, uh, and it has to do with being mm-hmm. a, at its deepest level of reality, okay? Um, and um, now, it, Father Z and Sochi, they don't actually c- quote, other than the f- irrevocable and forever, they don't actually quote from the text. But I, I do have the, the text in front of me if we wanted to from February 27th at his last general audience, if we wanted to, get to you know, rehash that again. I, I think he should. And so just to, the, the, the 
paragraph you just read was Father Z paraphrasing Sochi in terms of getting into the that the papal being elected pope is irrevocable uh, that uh, Benedict saying that it was forever and all of that that was Father Z paraphrasing Sochi about what you're going to read right now okay so this is February 27th 2013 last general audience Benedict 16th uh, I have made this step in the full awareness of its gravity and even novelty mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. allow me to go back once again to the 19th of April in the year of our Lord 2005 the real gravity of the decision in, and he's saying you know the decision to accept becoming Peter's successor was also due to the fact that from the moment from that moment on I was engaged always and forever by the Lord always anyone who accepts the Petrine ministry no longer has any privacy he belongs always and completely to everyone to the whole church the always is also a forever my decision to resign the active exercise mm-hmm. of the ministry does not revoke this. I do not return to private life, to a life of travel, meetings, receptions, conferences, and so on. I am not abandoning the cross, but remaining in a new way mm-hmm. at the side of the crucified Lord. I no longer bear the power of office for the governance of the church. For the governance of the church, qualify, qualify. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yep. But in the service of prayer, I remain, so to speak, in the enclosure of St. Peter. Um, keep and going, then Father keep, keep Z, going. No, keep, keep, okay. keep going the part about St. Benedict. Oh, uh, I've only I don't I only have a partial quote in front of me. I don't have uh, the rest of. He uh, goes on to say, um, um, Benedict, whose name I bear as Pope, will be a great help to me in this. Whether a, your life be active or passive, I'm not reading the quote. I'm just I'm paraphrasing it from memory. Mm. Whose name I bear as Pope, present tense. And, and again, one of the most conspicuous proof sets is the fact that he didn't revert to his baptismal name and he is still His Holiness Pope Benedict XVI, whose name I bear as Pope, present tense. Uh, whether whether my life be active or passive, citing the Benedictine, you know, the Benedictine rule. Um, or at labora exactly yep yep and it's i i don't know that the 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 february 27th speech you could take everything else uh, it seems to me you could take all of the other evidence the gantswine speech everything else and just take the february 27th final quote unquote final audience speech that enough it seems to me is enough evidence to juridically declare the the resignation null, um, I th- it, it's right there, and it's not us. It's not us judging. It's canon law judging it. Um, we're just the ones who are saying, "Look, 
Look, 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 look. We're just messengers. We're, we're not the judge. Canon law is the judge and Christ backstops canon law. Good grief. It's right there in front of us. And it's, it's um, re- really getting at the, just a quick comment, separating, separating the being from the, the doing. function. Yep. Right. Yep. And more and more people are jumping on that. And that was one of the key points in my part one video, the first video I put out in whenever that was 2018, um, that you have to look, the office is something that, that you are. You are the president. You are the queen of England. You are the pope. Um, the ministry is are things that you do as a possible corollary to being the president or being the queen or being the pope. In the case of the pope, what does he do? He legislates, he teaches, he confirms the brethren, he presides. Those are the th- those are the ministries, those are the things that he does. So the whole argument that that people were trying to say for quite a long time, and I haven't heard any of these people tr- even trying to make this argument anymore. They were trying to argue that munus and ministerium, office and ministry, were totally synonymous. These are completely interchangeable terms. They mean exactly the same thing because apparently somebody o- opened up the Lewis and Short Latin Dictionary and um, one was listed under the definition of the other or something like that. Well, um, as as people have been very quick to remind me and to some extent Mark, as unlettered lay nothings, canon law is very precise and very specific and there's a very specific um, definition of words and terms that are used in canon law. And it's clear if you look at canon law that munus means the office, the state of being, and that ministerium means the activities and they are not synonymous. And so, you know, trying to make this argument that a word that means being what you are, the Pope, is exactly the same thing as doing what you do as Pope, which is the, you know, things like governing. Here's, there's a verb that Pope Benedict used. He said, I'm going to walk away from the active governance of the church. So he's, not, he's no longer going to be governing. But interestingly, what does he still do? He still teaches. He still writes. He still confirms the brethren. So he's, he's doing some things. He's not doing other things. He, um, he no longer presides but then, you know, Bergoglio, what can you even call what Bergoglio is doing? Is he even presiding? I mean, it's, it's just everything he does is such a, liturgically, is such an abomination before the Lord that I don't know if you can even say that he does that. Um, so I, I think that the, and now that it's getting into the mainstream and people are talking about the fact that clearly munus and ministerium are different things. I hope that now that entire argument has been once and for all shot down and we can now move forward and, and say, all right, we've established this. Now let's look at the canon law again. And I think that a lot of people are coming on board as the uh, canon 212 poll would seem to indicate. Well, speaking and, and of canon law, I'm sorry. Uh, just to, just to uh, slam home what, what Anne's saying, if you want to see for yourself in canon law where munis and ministerium are distinct. Mm-hmm. It's uh, canon thirteen thirty one, section one, 
point three. Well, and it, this canon has other uh, is talking about uh, what an excommunicated person is forbidden to do. So it's got some other implications as well. But uh, it specifically lists um, office and ministries separate in mm -hmm. this canon. So clearly they are two separate and distinct things. Right. And just um, to emphasize what you guys are talking about, I know I, I wanted to get to this later in the show, but it seems appropriate to bring it up now. Um, Estefania Acosta, in her book, Benedict XVI, uh, Pope Emeritus, question mark, uh, Emeritus in scare quotes, um, her book is divided into two parts. And the first part has to do with the resignation of Benedict. And she goes into excruciating detail, mm -hmm. uh, particularly about canon law, because she herself is a trained uh, canonist. Uh, and we can talk more about her maybe later, her bio. But um, I just want to jump right in and quote her here uh, from, her, from part one. Uh, this is page 48. Um, she, she talks about here, on the object of the administrative act of resignation from the charge or office of Roman pontiff as a requirement for validity and its relationship with the terms munis and ministerium. And then, you know, she goes on to talk about what does munis mean, what does ministerium mean, and, uh, and then she goes through the whole code of canon law and then and, and cites, you know, where these terms come up and, and what do they mean, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's a fabulous, fabulous work. I mean, my girl put in the hours on this thing. It is, it's exactly what the church and the world needed. I can't rec recommend this book strongly enough. And guys, I would really, um, I would encourage you to buy this book now because unfortunately it's published through Amazon's self-publishing service. And we all know that Amazon is completely converged and that Bezos is one of the chief players in the New World Order. Um, and so who knows how long this thing is going to last. Um, you know, maybe someone in the Vatican could make a phone call to Amazon and say, get that thing off, get that thing off your service, cancel it right now. Guys, order this book now so that as many of us have it as, as humanly possible. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yep. So, Doc, so, do we want to go, uh, b before we move on completely to the book, did you want to finish up with uh, the additional commentary from Father Z about the uh, the Sochi piece and, you know, why um, why didn't journalists ask the questions that they could have asked in terms of, you know, Pope Benedict, why do you wear white? And why are you <laughs> called Holy Father Benedict Sixteenth if there is only one Pope, et cetera? Yeah, sure. So Father Z is talking about Sochi, uh, and he says Sochi in the English po in the English posted by Marco Tosati uh, points out what journalists could have asked Benedict and and what they should um, get answers for things like uh, why do you wear white and why are you called Holy Father Benedict the Sixteenth if there is only one Pope. Uh, why are you officially called Pope Emeritus if there is no juridical or theological definition of such a title? Why do you still give the apostolic blessing mm -hmm. or the papal blessing, which is a prerogative of the Pope and to which a plenary indulgence is attached? 
Uh, and let after me point, all, let me that, point I'm yeah. sorry, let me point out about the apostolic blessing. When he gives it, and we have it in writing on on at least two occasions, he says, my apostolic blessing. He doesn't even say our. He, he doesn't pluralize it. He says, my apostolic blessing, um, first person singular. That's that's absolutely remarkable. I think that that is if I had to choose proof sets, that's in the top three. That right there is in the top three of proof sets that something's way wrong here and that he still believes himself to be Pope, Vicar of Christ. Yeah, and, and uh, our girl Acosta here uh, says she reproduces photographically mm-hmm. his, uh, his signature and uh, she says... Uh, what does she say here? That um, the signature, quote, Benedict XVI, unquote, appears repeatedly, even with the addition of the initials PP, which means, quote, pastor pastorum, pastor of pastors, or PP can mean pontifex pontificium, which means supreme pontiff, a title conferred to the vicar of Christ. So... <laughs> So he's he's signing things, pastor of pastors, and supreme pontiff. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a little little fishy there, um, and that's from page sixty-two of uh, the English edition of uh, Acosta. Um, as for Father Z, quote uh, quoting um, Marco, to, uh, excuse me, quoting uh, all these Italians are getting to me. Here. <laughs> uh, quote, <laughs> I'm about to talk about Andrea Tornelli next, uh, talking about Sochi. Um, he goes on to say here, uh, what, what you just said, Anne, um, after all, some people have noted that in some of his recent books are signed Benedict PP16 with the initials PP, Pastor Pastorum, which is the title reserved for the Pope. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, in public ceremonies in which the Pope Emeritus has participated, some cardinals have bowed down to him yep. and kissed his ring which they should have done only with the Pope. Not not just bowed down, but genuflected. Genuflected, not not bow at the waist. We're talking about going down on the knee and kissing the ring. Every and, every new cardinal that, that Bergoglio has named has done this. Yep. And he doesn't shoo them away like uh, Bergoglio. He lets, when, oh when, yeah, he, he, lets, he lets them smooch away. And Bergoglio, that's another, I mean, there's so much with Bergoglio. That whole absolutely bizarre, those videos of him just violently ripping his hand away from anyone who tries to, uh, to kiss the ring. Again, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost at work. <laughs> and by the way, over the weekend, he, he, he said he wanted to, was it yesterday, he wanted to wish everybody a happy international socialist women's day mm, and mm. well he didn't he didn't add the part about socialist but that that's the origins of it and i couldn't help but you know think about his concern for women when he uh slapped that poor little diminutive chinese woman uh a little over a year ago yeah yep indeed the other comment from yesterday that kind of got my ear a little bit was we're speaking about you know separating the bishop of rome from the from the vicarship of christ he was asked about the uh, the comments he had made in in an earlier interview about that he'll he'll never be returning to argentina and what he said yesterday was uh, the, the question was someone made a comment or I, I can't remember exactly what the question was asked yesterday on the plane 
but uh, he reiterated that uh, he won't be returning even if he retires to Argentina. But the way he put it was, I shall remain in my diocese. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. He also knows that yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them who would like to see him strung up, too, because um, the activities yeah, that he's yeah, there's engaged that. in, there's, there's also that. But isn't that convenient that he wants to stay in his, in his physical bishopric? Okay. Gotcha. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Well, on that, on that point, there's a fascinating little snippet in Acosta's book, which uh, is under the radar because it's, it's in the front where the uh, you know, introduction is. And um, uh, it, it has to do with the relationship between Jorge Bergoglio uh, and, and a, apparently a, a saintly uh, bishop. Yes, um, yes. You, you, um, I caught that too. Mon- I'm glad you're bringing it Monsignor up. Monsignor Rogelio Ricardo Livieres Plano, uh, bishop of the city of um, Este P. I don't know if I'm saying this right. What page are you um, on? Apparently. What I'm page? on page 21. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. she, she says that um, Benedict XVI commissioned him to erect a diocesan seminary with the aim of forming a new clergy. In other words, the kind of the reform of the reform, right? Right. Um, and that in the understanding of the Paraguayan Episcopal Conference, this would actually be an intolerable competitor of the seminary that's already there. Um and um which is also standing almost empty either empty or almost empty by the way mm-hmm. and this this other one it's a Nova Sordo diocesan parish but it was it was highly orthodox and i use that in the past tense i'll let dr matza finish the story so she writes he was the prelate who shortly before benedict's resignation uh, got upset with the same conference thanks to his denunciations of quote-unquote homosexual weeds and corruption in this institution. Finally, he was the prelate who, shortly before that, had energetically stopped a certain attempt of interference in his diocese uh, on the part of a foreign archbishop from Buenos Aires, who was this archbishop, Jorge Mario Bergoglio. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Less than a year over his summary destitution, Don Livieres died. Um, a few weeks after his death, the Via Crucis of the deceased disaffected bishop, one of his most esteemed objects, reached Francisco's hands. Three months later, the bishop, dressed as the bishop dressed in white, presented it to the crowds as a symbol of the quote-unquote failure of God. Now, I'm not sure if people can follow the sequence of this, but Acosta is making the, um, or is it uh, Ayrton Vieira? One yeah, of the it's the, trans- translators it's the translator, yeah. yeah. Okay, I don't want to do a false attribution here, but the uh, the revision and notes are done by uh, Ayrton Vieira, V-I-E-I-R-A, and he or she, I, I can't, I guess it's he, are, are, is alleging that um, uh, Bergoglio, in many ways, basically drove this bishop into the gr- into an early grave, uh, and then used his uh, way of the cross as a talisman to show his victory or the failure of God. It, it's just very creepy. Yeah, this bishop, this this Via Crucis, what it was is a very rare miniaturized 
a little, it was a little thing that you could carry in your pocket that had the 14 stations of the cross. Very rare, um, you know, um, anything miniature like that is going to be very valuable. Everybody recognized that it belonged to this bishop. The bishop dies, and not long after this, Bergoglio is, um, I don't know if he's doing a press conference or something, and he pulls out of his pocket a rosary and this via crucis, which all these people in South America, see, we wouldn't have any idea about any of this. They all recognize that, and they said, oh my goodness, it's that bishop that he, that he drove into the ground and drove this seminary into the ground that was filled um, with, with good Orthodox seminarians. Shut, he shut the thing down and starts waving this around, um, this Via Crucis, and all of the South Americans instantly got what Bergoglio was doing. Bergoglio was rubbing, is, was rubbing it in the face of this dead bishop that, and oh, and Bergoglio called um, Christ's death and the Via Crucis, what was it, Dr. Matza, how did he refer to it? God's failure? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he ca- he calls our our Lord's passion and death God's failure. This is getting into territory that is um, Lu- Luciferian, okay? So he's he's stolen this guy's via crucis off of his body, is carrying it around in his pocket as a trophy of his victory over this dead bishop who was orthodox and believing and denounced and denounced sodomy and had a really solid um seminary going everyone in south america totally gets this and of course how would any of us have any idea about this unless it were written up in this book there's a lot of stuff out of south america that they know and is completely off the radar it's nowhere in the in the english speaking press it isn't even in the italian press there's all this stuff down there because you know most english speakers are too lazy to learn how to um, tr- to translate anything that they find in Spanish or can't read Spanish or anything. There's all kinds of information that that is out there and is open. And, you know, the listenership probably remembers the work that I posted. When was it? 2017, 2018, about that, uh, that un- very unfortunate woman who was trying to blow the whistle on Bergoglio and his very intimate connections with child sex traffickers in Buenos Aires. She, of course, is found dead from a quote-unquote drug overdose, which may or may not be true. The whole thing is, but this woman's going on TV in Argentina, and they're openly discussing Bergoglio's connection to, to child sex traffickers and things like this, and none of it, it's all completely embargoed from the press in the rest of the world, certainly the English-speaking world. And, you know, the Freemasonic press basically says nobody is going to discuss any of this. And so we have to wait for South Americans to publish things like this and just hope that as many people as possible see this. Not to add to the drama, but do you want to know where Bergoglio did this thing with this uh, dead man's dead bishop's way of the cross you should tell fatima <laughs> yeah is it is that the same time where he said he said something about i could be the second 
the the bishop in white or something like that. Same speech. Same speech. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, guys, since uh, since we're on this subject, um, have you guys ever heard of Archbishop Hector Aguer, mm. uh, former Archbishop of La Plata in Argentina? Mm-mm. Um, well, <laughs> if you uh, if you do an online search, uh, he's got history with Bergoglio, uh, and um, I'm I'm trying to do a very quick um, online search myself here to 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 bring this up. But um, I, do I don't think he trusts Bergoglio. Name? How do you spell? Yeah, it? let me. It's LifeSite News. Let me see if I can find it. No, I just lost it. Oh, here we go. Um, do 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 do. Uh, A G U E R. I'm doing this A G U E R. Okay. And then let me just type in Bergoglio and see what comes up here. Um, History in terms of as an ally or anta- antagonistic? Antagonistic. Okay. Um, he, uh, it, so there's different uh, quotes here. Um, but basically, yeah, I'm not going to find what I'm looking for in, in the space that we have here. But um, he, there's a history between the two, and and this he knows he's got, he's got Bergoglio's number. Mm-hmm. This this uh, this. Archbishop. I think a lot of people have Bergoglio's number, which is the reason why the psychopath narcissist who you would think would want to go back and be hailed as a hero in in his home country why he has made it he's basically said that he he ain't going back even dead he's not going back i mean how much do you have to fear <laughs> how much do you have to fear that you don't even want your dead body going back to uh to argentina it's it's absolutely remarkable so here here's a quote i found online i don't know where this is going but um it's from a, a book called in the closet of the vatican Power, homosexuality, hypocrisy. And there's a line here. Uh, the Archbishop of La Plata, Hector Aguer, this visceral homophobe <laughs> was close to Benedict Sixteenth. An important fact when it came to countering Bergoglio's two, quote-unquote, violently moderate ideas. So um, the author of this book is accusing... Uh, Wait, Hector is, Aguirre, is this Martel? Uh, is this the Frederick Martel book? It is. Yeah, it's yeah. called because in other in every other language, the title of that book is Sodoma. It's it's titled Sodom, <laughs> <laughs> but in the English version, they gave it that that more benign, florid title. What what is it in English again? Uh, in English, it's translated in the closet of the Vatican. <laughs> Uh, Not quite Sodom, but it gets the point across. Yeah, <laughs> it gets the point across. <laughs> Maybe worse. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, yeah, he, Martel is basically attacking Aguirre, uh, saying that Aguirre was attacking um, support for for civil unions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Cardinals Sedano and Sandri, then Bertone, had been managing Argentina from Rome. Uh, but, but, anyway, so. I just thought, as we said before, the, the, the people in South America, they know Bergoglio better than we do. They know what's up. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Goodness. What's what? Continue on, Dr. Matza. There's There are other items on that list that's on Father Z's 
post, and I think it's Sochi making a list of questions. Why didn't they ask? Why uh, didn't sure. they ask? Uh, I've got one. <laughs> okay, Mark. <laughs> do you think that, well, I'm riffing on it, but basically, do you think that if, uh, you know, earlier we touched on Benedict calling what he was doing both new and a novelty? Mm-hmm. Now, so apparently that means he it's he's not resigning the papacy because that's been done before that's, that's not that's a novelty been done. yep absolutely several times in fact and you know you see this in and in fact if you go to father z's post it's interesting to read the comments because you get a feeling of what um Novosorda whites and and trads who don't believe this and you know trad ink partisans who haven't engaged the data set, clearly haven't engaged the data set, but it's interesting to see the arguments and what they're telling themselves. And that's one of the arguments that they're making. Um, Say it again, Mark. Uh, About the novelty? Yeah. So he described in, when he was describing what he had done back on the 11th of February, he's now speaking on the 27th of February, the day before he got in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And he's explained to everyone that what, in fact, he did back on the 11th of February was something entirely new that had never been done before. Yeah. Which, which interestingly, is pretty much the phraseology that Archbishop Ganswine used in the speech at the Greg. Well, except Ganswine said that it was, it was like the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> That's correct. Literally. <laughs> So the normies are saying, popes have resigned before. And, you know, our response to that is, yes, they have. And and Ratzinger himself says that what he did is completely unique, completely new, and has never been done before. So how do you logically reconcile that? How can something be exactly identical to what other popes have done before, and at the same time, completely unique, different, and and innovative. And then and then you've got Ganswine saying it's so innovative and it's so it's so radically different that it's analogous to the Immaculate Conception. I mean, and people, so what you have yeah. Sochi asking here is, okay, if this um, really is something new, and you're not the pope anymore why isn't there any sort of where are where is this in canon law why why wasn't why didn't you write this up right. so to speak and establish some sort of juridical office or whatever this thing is yes you take you you attempt to do what i think everybody would characterize as one of the most radical juridical acts in the 2000 year history of the church and you don't write a word there's you don't write one single word in canon law no no derogation nothing you don't say a word about this before you do it well the pope can do whatever he wants well he he needs to put it down in writing so that the faithful know what the heck's going on and there isn't this just crazy um this crazy disorientation and nobody knows what's going on and you know canon lawyers at the very 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 top of the church will tell you exactly the same thing he can't the pope just can't you know 
change change the rules of the game without telling anybody that the point of the law and the reason that it must be publicly promulgated is precisely so that unlettered lay nothings like mark and i and everyone else can can open up the codex look at it and say what's going on here I mean, the, the, whole, the notion that this is all some sort of a Gnostic sect and nobody gets to know what the law is and, and beyond that, the vicar of Christ on earth can radically change the law without telling anybody so that everybody's confused and no one has any clue what's going on. That's chaos. That is chaos and chaos is of the devil. Our Lord is about clarity and that's why the code of canon law is promulgated and our lord said when he gave the keys of the kingdom to peter and what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven that's our lord saying look when you when you promulgate laws i'm backstopping it so everybody can know that this is this is legit and here it is but you you have to promulgate it i mean you can't expect people to just to just read your mind that's the point that's yeah. the point he can he can change yes. canon law in matters that are not related to divine law the point is he didn't do that yep and he and he also didn't derogate from it yep so there's there's a whole section of canon law that talks about you know the the legislature specifically derogating from uh a a law at, mm-hmm. at, in, in a in a uh, capacity where he has he has legitimate authority to to make a certain declaration and he has the legitimate authority to derogate from canon law he actually has the obligation to do that within yes. the juridical act for it to be valid absolutely and th- i think this speaks to the argument that ratzinger knew and knows exactly what he was doing the fact that he didn't write one word and there was no derogation, there was no clarification, there was no change to canon law. He, for him to do something this utterly radical without doing, without one bit of um, juridical um, due diligence on his part, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Of course, of course, he understood these concepts. Of course, he understood the need. If it to if you're gonna change the law that you need to do it publicly, this is I, this is a compelling argument that he knew and knows still what he was up to when he did this maneuver. So you know. Well, and that's clearly where that's clear clearly the angle of attack that Stephanie is taking mm-hmm. in this book is uh, not in the direction of substantial error, qua substantial error, but that this was a, an intentional act by Benedict and he knew exactly what it was what he was doing and it was part of a of a of a bigger strategy to save the church which you know I certainly I, Man, I'm praying I hope that so. that's yeah. I'm praying that that's true mm-hmm. the danger in in using that as your angle of attack is that it it's you're, you're relying on conjecture yeah. because we can't know at this point in time, we can't know completely what was in Benedict's mind when he did this. So, right. you're relying on conjecture. Uh, I'm trying to think of another word for it that you know you get called out for in court if you if you speculation you know, speculation speculation. Yeah. Yes, yeah. thank you. 
So, yeah, I, th- I think that it's best to stick to Canon 188 and, and primarily the substantial air clause. And then, you know. And then 332.2, where he's, you know, he clearly did not, which the term where the, the pontiff has to resign his office, the words mm-hmm. his office were only inserted into that canon in the 1983 code. Mm-hmm. And it was probably Benedict himself who inserted those two words, which well, was instrumental in, and then JP2 promulgated it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go so ahead, guys, Dr. Um, yeah. Let, let me play devil's advocate a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I do that, let me just throw out a couple of quotes. We've been talking about how uh, what he did was something radical and novel, even according to his own words. Mm-hmm. This is what he says in the German Seawald book that came out last year. I was well aware that the situation of Pope Celestine V, right, the last pope to voluntarily resign, was unique and could not serve as a model in any way. In any way. All right, so yep. <laughs> in, in any way. Um, now, so, and then Ganswine, um, in, in the famous speech at the Greg, um, he goes on and he goes into a lot more detail about just that Pope Benedict has been daring enough to open the door to a new phase, to that historical turning point, etc. This new situation as a kind of exceptional state of the divinely instituted office of Peter. Okay, so I think we've got that nailed down. Now, to address what, what uh, Mark just brought up about how the Pope has to act within canon law, uh, here's a quote from... Uh, Father Harrison, Father Brian Harrison, I'm sure all the trads out there and even the conservatives know him. And this is what Father Harrison believes. Of course, as supreme legislator, the Pope may change any ecclesiastical law by officially and expressly abrogating it or derogating from it. Mm-hmm. But, but if he were to decree something which broke the law, that is, which acted against an existing ecclesiastical law without expressly adding a clause derogating from that law, then canon law itself states that such a lawless action, even on the part of a competent authority, uh, you know, is, is not going to pass muster here. Right, right. right. Um, now, let me... <laughs> Let me, let me play devil's advocate against that, uh, if I'm not being too confusing here. Um, people attack you, and they attack you, Mark, and maybe they attack me a little bit. Because yeah, you're we're so not nice. Nobody lo- attacks you, Dr. Mark. Everybody <laughs> loves you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, but the thing is this. So uh, they say, you know, you're not a canon lawyer. Um, you, you, you don't have, a, you know, letters behind your name mm-hmm. uh, and, and this and that. Um, or they'll make the argument, well, you know, the Pope is the supreme legislator. He can do whatever he wants, and it's legal. Now, I, and, I, and I have to respond to this, and maybe you, I don't know if you guys are going to disagree with me or, or agree with me on this, but if you ask me, um, it's not, I believe, I believe in substantial error here. I believe it's a possible, you know, I've, I've got my Maza hypothesis, but I, I'm, I'm willing to accept also the substantial error hypothesis, and what I want to say right now today publicly is that I believe substantial error does not depend on canon law. 
uh, I've done some research on this over the past few months. And even though canon law says that if a pope uh, resigns because of substantial error, uh, his resignation is invalid, even though canon law says that, it's not based on canon law. Right. It's based on natural law. Um, so let me just throw out an example of this, okay? And, and, and this also answers the people that, that say that because there's universal peaceful acceptance of, 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 of Francesco, therefore it's impossible that Benedict could have resigned invalidly. Again, let me I, answer I both little, of these people. I know, I know a little poll that happened about 10 days ago that would uh, <laughs> kind of argue against there's universal peaceful that's true. acceptance of anything. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I digress. That's true. No, that's okay. Uh, we're going to go down another rabbit hole if we go with that. But um, so, so here's the thing with, let me use the, a basic example, right? So we know from Catholic theology that in order to lose sanctifying grace, in order to, you know, be in a state of mortal sin, there's three conditions, right? The thing itself has to be objectively, seriously wrong, grave. Secondly, you have to know that what you're doing is seriously wrong in the eyes of God. And number three, you have to, with the full consent of your will, choose to do it anyway, mm -hmm. okay? Um, that's natural law. That's not canon law. That's right. natural law, okay? Now, it's the same thing with substantial error. What is substantial error? Substantial error is when you choose something with your will, which your intellect is is in is in erroneous about is is in error about, and and so that error is is has to do with the substance of your act. Am I making sense on this, or am I just jabbering? Right. Here? Well, I mean, I've posted a piece on you know people ask all the time what is the definition of substantial error and the definition that i found is substantial error is ignorance or misjudgment about the essential nature main terms or principal motive of the object of an act and you're absolutely right dr matza there's nothing in that definition about canon law per se we're talking about something that's that's deeper and more transcendent than canon law, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you say that it's we're talking about natural law here. Exactly, and 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 when it does come up in canon law, you know where it normally comes up. It normally comes up in the canon law on marriage. Now, here's a great a great quote from um, 1955 from a uh, a journal called the Catholic Lawyer, and it says here error invalidates the act if it is an error concerning the substance of the act error affects consent for the uh, for the will in an act of consent elects an object presented to it by the mind if the mind is in error the object is imperfectly or incorrectly presented mm -hmm. and so the choice made upon such a premise is not always the same choice that would have been made if the object were correctly known. Um, and then he gives an example of in the Bible, um, uh, the patriarch uh, Jacob um, uh, thought he was marrying um, uh, Rachel, but uh, instead, uh, under cover of night, uh, they gave him Leah, and it wasn't until the next morning that he figured out that it wasn't, that it wasn't Rachel. Um, and Thomas Aquinas says that... Um, it's not because he slept with her that that he wasn't uh, married to her. It was or that he was married to her. 
because he he erroneously erroneously thought he was sleeping with Rachel. It's the fact that the next day he decided to accept her anyway that made the marriage that made it consensual ah. that made the, that made the marriage possible. Um, but otherwise, it, it, they would not be legitimately married if right. if he said, no wait, "No, wait a minute, Jack. I thought I was marrying Rachel here." So it's the same thing with Pope Benedict. To put this bluntly. You don't need to be a canon lawyer. You don't need to have graduated from wherever. Okay, it's it's this is reality here. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's natural law reality. If Benedict, um, in his choice, uh, thought that he could still participate in the papacy, even if he's just not the active guy, if he thought that he's still part of the papacy, that is choosing something erroneously. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he that is substantial error, and we don't have to find it in canon law. It's it's reason. In fact, this is something that F Father Z brings up in his article. Each of us has human reason, mm -hmm. and and that's enough for us to be pronouncing on this subject. Wow! Right. So think? it's 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 raising it to the level. Uh, the the natural law means it's divine law. So it's raising. It's making it more of a philosophical argument, whereby. This is a matter of uh, being in error in validating an act is a matter of divine law, which even the Pope cannot change. Mm -hmm. So it, it's instead of relying on Canon 188, uh, a purely ecclesiastical law, we've got we've got it on a higher authority. But couldn't, you, couldn't, what couldn't you say, couldn't you make the argument that Canon 188 is basically kissing Kissing that natural law, kissing the divine law, and and oh put, yeah, putting yeah. A, a a point of nexus, a point of connection there. So I guess it, where I was going was that you know I was making the point earlier about you know he didn't even bother to derogate. Mm -hmm. You know he could have derogated from from canon law. Well, could he have? Here, <laughs> could he have? Could he have? No. If it's a matter oh. of uh, divine law, he, he he couldn't have done that. So it just it makes it a little more interesting. Dr. Matsu, you are absolutely brilliant. I think I think you're no, 100% no, right. I think you're 100% <laughs> right. And I think this is going to open you. it up because now you're going to start you're going to start pulling philosophers into this and um, and, th and the more people you can pull into this who can come back and say, "Yeah, I think that argument is correct." Boy, I see nothing wrong with that argument at all. So what it come with <laughs> So what it comes down to here is is <sighs> When you read Ganswine, let, let's start with Ganswine. When you read him, what does he say here? He says that um, the key word in Benedict's renunciation is munis petronum. Well, gee, you've got Archbishop Ganswine saying that we should focus in on that. It's not Anne, it's not Mark, it's not Dr. Maza, right? Um, and then he goes on to say that um, before and after his resignation, before and after, mm -hmm. Benedict understood and understands mm -hmm. his task as a participation <laughs> in the Petrine ministry. <laughs> At a certain so, point, you either you either laugh or you go sit on the stairs and, and cry because that's all or, you can do. <laughs> either either word, words mean what they say they mean. Words mean, I don't know, where am I going with that? It's right either, there. Either words have meaning or they don't. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So what Ganswine is arguing here is that um, it's not Benedict who, you know, changed himself the way previous people did by resigning from the papacy and going back to cardinal. 
he did like a Superman thing, like I tried to say last year when I first came out with the Mazda hypothesis. He didn't change himself. He changed the. He tried to change the uh, the office itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It. It's. We shouldn't look at this. Maybe this is another insight that I'm coming up with here. Is that we shouldn't look at this as as him trying to resign. It's him trying to redesign yes. the, the, the office of the papacy. If only someone had written their doctoral dissertation 40 years ago about the German Theological Academy's obsession with that exact thing. Oh, wait, he did, J. Michael Miller. We haven't talked about the Miller dissertation in quite a while. Uh, we're going to have to put that in the show notes again, Mark, totally. Yep, 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 maybe maybe repost a few things from uh, ah, a yep. year or two ago. Indeed, indeed. You're exactly right. It's just, you know, by divine providence, this, you know, very dry thesis from, you know, back in the 70s uh, from the, was that at the Greg? Yeah, it's a Greg. Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, was somehow, some, some, some publisher decided it would be a great idea 20 years later to... Uh, reprint a hard copy, a hard a, a hard copy book of this of this thing, with additional developments since it was uh, orig- originally written. Oh, that's um, right. You you bought the. Um, I've got it in my hand right now. It's called I the got, Shepherd and the Rock. I got the actual dissertation. I got the physical hard copy of the dissertation. You got the reissuing of. Miller reissued his dissertation as a book, kind of a standalone book with updates. I, I yeah, I had, I had forgotten about that, and Mark has that. All he and, got was a rock. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're not going to go into it here, but just, I mean, I can just. This is the this is the page the book just fell open to in my hands. Thesis fourteen. In order to fulfill its specific mission, the Petrine Ministry has assumed many different forms in the past and will continue to do so in the future. Nineteen sixties Germany. Yeah. Well, I mean the one of the one of the most stunning quotes in the Miller dissertation is Casper's quote. The, one of the, and I'm paraphrasing, one of the biggest problems in the church today is the papacy. I mean, that's the opening of chapter eight of, of Miller's dissertation. They, they, the Germans were obsessed with the notion that you have got to radically transform the papacy into a collegial synodal office, and that's the only way that you're going to get the Lutherans back in, and also potentially the Anglicans, but obviously the Germans. Who do the Germans care about? They care about the Lutherans. And why do they care about the Lutherans? Because Germany has a Kirchensteuer tax. Germany has a church tax. You pay, what is it, 8%, 6%? I can't remember. You calculate your income tax due in Germany, and then whatever the percentage is, is it eight or is it six? I want to say six. Six percent on top of your income tax due is added to your tax bill, and then you designate which church that goes to. And if if you opt out, if you opt out of the Catholic, uh, of the Catholic Church. You can no longer receive the sacraments. You can no longer have your children baptized. You can no longer be buried. You cannot have a you cannot have a requiem mass. It is 
textbook simony. But the reason that the Germans care about this is because, you know, half, half of Germany is Lutheran. Billions and billions and billions of dollars or Deutschmarks or Euro or whatever it's quoted in at the time flows is flowing into church coffers. The, the, heretics like Casper, all they care about is the money. They want to get their hands all over that Lutheran money and they want to control that. So their whole project of trying to reunify with the Lutherans is completely driven by money. And yeah, destroy the papacy. You have to destroy the papacy to get the Lutherans back in because the Lutheran heresy and schism is built on the foundation of Luther's premise that the Pope is the Antichrist. Well, good good luck getting them back in unless you all but destroy the papacy. How do you all but destroy the papacy? Oh, by turning it into a into a synod, uh, which is exactly the project of the last eight years. And it's also been the project of Freemasonry since 1717. And this is the final iteration of it. Indeed. Hmm. Dismount soapbox. <laughs> follow the money. I mean, it's it, it, it's so cliche, but it's so true. Just follow the money. It's all there. And the the Miller dissertation. Um, I don't think there are any paper copies left available because I bought. Uh, I think I bought most of them. Um, but the electronic copy is still on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I paid like ten bucks or something for it. Get this thing and read it. It's and I mean, Mark gets one hundred percent of the credit for it because Mark's the one who found it in a footnote. I remember, I remember getting the the email from you or whatever message, whatever it was, saying you got to look at this, and then just realizing, oh my gosh, we just tripped and fell over the Rosetta Stone of this whole thing because it doesn't. I mean, nobody really cares what what J. Michael Miller says. In fact, J. Michael Miller only speaks speaks for himself for like, you know, five paragraphs at the very, very, very conclusion of the dissertation. The, the, th the reason why his dissertation is so valuable is for the citations, the footnotes, all these references. It's just a list of all of these Germans and, and uh, Cardinal Dulles. Yes, whose, bro whose brother was head of the CIA. I mean, it, you can't even make this up. If you were writing a screenplay, it would just be too, it would be too outlandish, but it's the truth. Rosetta Stone's a good term because that, that's really what it does. The, the thing is so well annotated that you can just go back, you can go back and imagine yourself in the theological circles of, you know, the German theological circles in the 60s and 70s, he's got that much, I mean, it liter literally is a dissertation, and it just, pu it puts you spot on to understand how Benedict could have yeah. thought that he could, that he could do this, because it was drilled, it was the main topic of conversation in a, lo in a lot of, of these yeah. circles. Yeah, right. absolutely. And then you realize, oh my gosh, within this spectrum of these German academics in the, in the 60s and 70s, Ratzinger was on the extreme far right. A lot of them were advocating for the total abolition of the papacy, like Hans Kung and people like that. Um, and there were also um, some layman canonists who were running around saying the papacy has to be completely abolished, da 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 And you realize that within the spectrum, Ratzinger was on the extreme far right, which has always been the case with him. Even, even um, in the 1960s when, oh, you know, you just... It about makes you sick to look at some of the stuff that was going on. You have to realize that within the spectrum, he was he was on the right 
he was on the right. Uh, I'll put it to you that way. Um, and then he, he, as he got older and as he saw what happened in the 70s and all that, he just kept moving further and further and further to the right. He kept, re, he kept being further and further rehabilitated as time passed. And then, of course, the pinnacle of that, I, I say, was probably um, Samorum Pontificum. That was kind of the pinnacle of his rehabilitation. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. So I don't know if you guys want to finish off Father Z here before yes. we finish ourselves. Let, let's, let's finish off Father Z before some bishop <laughs> before some bishop does it for us. <laughs> oh, poor Z, poor Z. <laughs> yeah, we should be praying for Father Z. He's taking a lot of incoming these days. That's right. Um, all right. So I'll I'll just fire this off here. Uh, it strikes me as unlikely that a pope on his own can expand the Petrine ministry established by Christ. Mm -hmm. um, if this is a legitimate development perceived by the church over time and consistent with tradition, the sense of the faithful, etc., well, maybe. But if this is an error, it would be a substantial error. Mm -hmm. And if that, <laughs> where have I heard that before, Anne? Mm -hmm. um, and, if, and if that substantial error was the basis of Benedict's motive to resign the active Petrine ministry, without resigning the contemplative, then there would be grounds to raise a question or two about the validity of the resignation, understatement of the year. I mean, I just added that last part. He said as he uh, slammed his hand down on the arm of his chair. <laughs> <laughs> and Father Zed says, in most cases, figures in the church cannot resign validly if they are in substantial error about what they are resigning, does that same standard apply to the successor of Peter? I don't know. The Pope is the legislator and interpreter, not I. But now, like I just said today, I think Father Z is a little confused here. This is not a canon law issue anymore. This is a uh, ontological, metaphysical, divine law, natural law issue here um, wow. regarding substantial error and resignations. Um, and then the, I think the final pertinent paragraph from Father Z here uh, he says, uh, just as a mind exercise, we might also remember that another idea has been floated about the resignation of Benedict, whereby he wanted to resign as Bishop of Rome, successor of Peter, mm -hmm. but not as Vicar of Christ, successor of Peter, similar to the active and contemplative scenario, possible, question mark, some say yes, some say no. Would a pope be in substantial error in such an attempt? Question mark. Maybe. Given that Peter became Christ's vicar at Caesarea Philippi, not at Rome, and that Peter was bishop at Antioch before Rome, it seems that being vicar of Christ was not in its origin, origin dependent on being bishop of Rome. Are the two offices now so tied together that the one is impossible without the other? Who says this was debated at the time of Vatican I? Uh, in fact, that's what Miller spends a good deal of time talking about in one of his earlier chapters. Mm -hmm. Is that, um, and, and this is what I came across in my research, is that um, if, if you did want to finagle the papacy somehow, this is the only kosher way of doing it. I mean, it would be unprecedented, to use mm -hmm. the words of uh, Ganswine, 
<laughs> but this actually could be legit. Yeah. Now, it's, it's a minority view in the history of the church, but it's not a condemned view to say that the Pope has the power to separate Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome. Um, and because it's similar to this active contemplative thing, I've argued that I think it's a possibility that that's what he did. Uh, and he's using the term Bishop Emeritus as, as like a cover. Um, of course, I, I, I also believe that if he didn't do that, um, or if he did it, but it's not ontologically possible, and the majority of the church's theologians are correct, then he, he again, he it, it goes back to substantial error. Right. And, and he, either, either way, he's still... He's still vicar of Christ. Exactly. It's back to our, our my like my new favorite word, consilience, because it's actually a very beautiful musical word in and of itself. Consilience. When every um, argument and every data set leads to exactly the same conclusion, you this is a this is a legal um, term and concept. If absolutely everything points to exactly the same base premise then that in and of itself becomes a proof set. You know, the, the totality of the evidence all pointing at exactly the same thing. No matter how you try to parse this, no matter whether, whether you zig or whether you zag, you end up at the same thing that we're, sit, we're sitting there staring at Canon 188 again. Yep. And or, the or, or, Z actually we're, we're staring at the term substantial error because again I can't thank you enough for opening this door of um, of taking substantial error into the domain of the natural law I mean we're gonna have to work that into the title somehow because that that is the point of this episode and that's why people should be that's why people should listen to this to this episode we also need to write it up dr. Matza if you'd write it up I'd really appreciate sure. it sure yeah yeah sure thing mm-hmm well, and then the the alternate Matza thesis in terms of perhaps there isn't substantial error involved. Perhaps it is possible to separate the vicarship from the See of Rome. And perhaps it's possible that that, in fact, happened. Whether it's substantial error or if it's what I just described, mm -hmm. the vicar of Christ is one and he is Benedict. Right. That's another point of consilience. Who's, you know, it, you, one point of consilience is do you keep on ending up, you know, tripping over substantial error? The other point of consilience is, and this, this is ultimately what matters what is the identity of the vicar of Christ on earth? And you just keep coming back to Benedict. Yeah. Or like Father Z says, you know, after he goes through Sochi's list of he wears white, uh, he gives apostolic blessings, he's still called his holiness. Um, he says, individually considered, meh, taken together, right. hmm, mm. so that's the consilience. Yep, exactly. And we're, we're taught by our Lord to examine the evidence. Yep. We're not just to sit back and say, well, we're, we're not worthy, uh, we don't hold any authority, uh, we don't have any business looking at this with a critical eye. Yes, we do. And our Lord told us this specifically in the 11th chapter of Matthew, mm -hmm. which is the gospel from the second Sunday of Advent. When you're searching for the truth, searching for the Lord, this is where John in prison. So he's at the, he's at the end of his ministry. 
he's still got two guys hanging around, two disciples. And he sends them to Christ to ask if he is the Christ. Right. Now, it's not John asking this question. He sends the disciples. John knows. John's at the end. John's fulfilled his ministry. Mm -hmm. He's pointed to Christ. He's not questioning whether he's Christ or not. He knows. He's sending he he's knows. his cousin, he's, too. I mean, he totally knows, yeah. He's got these two guys still hanging around. They're called John's disciples that he can't get rid of. So what does he do? <laughs> he finally he sends them to Christ, and what does Christ do? Does Christ say, yes, it, it, it's me? I am the no. second person of the triune Godhead incarnate. No, he does not say that. He says, Mark. He says... Caught myself off guard here with. Uh... Go, oh, go here. and tell John. Go and relate to John what you have heard and seen. Mm -hmm. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead rise again, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he that shall not be scandalized in me. So the Lord, our Lord's saying, look around. Evidence. What, is, what, what does the evidence tell you? Form a data set, form an evidence set, and then use your brain and come to a conclusion. Yep. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if, if I could just add to that, guys, it, it, it's a different kind of encounter with the truth. Like you just said, it's not like a rational proof or a, a, a you know, when you explain yourself using words, right? He's saying that the, the actions speak for themselves. Yeah. And uh, not to get too out out on the uh, German uh, <laughs> theological way here, but um, thought, uh, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger or Joseph Ratzinger um, wrote some interesting stuff about um, how modern man has a problem understanding sacrament, um, understanding. Um, when God speaks to us through signs, okay, um, and and he writes uh, in an article here, uh, Papa Benedetto, that um, something he is inclined to downgrade to a magical or mythical age of mankind. It does not seem to fit well into a rational and technical world. Therefore, we have a dilemma that this reality is central for a Christian consciousness, but marginal for the normal awareness of everyday life today. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here that in trying to understand what Benedict did or what he or what he was thought he was doing, we do have to pay attention to the, the to the to the white clothing. We we do have to pay yeah. attention to the to the apostolic blessings. We do have to pay attention to the ring, and um, be, we have it from his own own lips that 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 he himself wanted to try to foster. Um, not just reason, but he also wanted to foster the sacramental notion of the world that is totally lost on everyday people. It's mm -hmm. a great point. And boy, did he do it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and Mark, I know that you have a particular devotion to the, the fifth joyful mystery of the Most Holy Rosary, which is, you know, finding, finding our Lord in the temple and the fruit of the mystery is joy and joy in finding Jesus. And that was one of the mysteries of the rosary that for me was always, I don't, I don't, I don't want to use the word dry, but it was just kind of like, it never really clicked with me. And then when all this happened, you're like, 
oh, that's what that means. If you want to say anything about your devotion to the fifth joyful. Uh, for me, it's more about just how completely unworthy we are and that it, it's really just it's it, it, finding the Lord is like finding your life and my life would just be nothing without him. And it's, you know, just really transforming yourself. I mean, it's all through divine grace. You really merit very little here. It's really, you're just cooperating with divine grace, but just, you know, proceeding through your life and, and, and pursuing holiness and and the joy of finding the truth. He is the truth. Mm -hmm. So you've literally found the truth of the universe and it's beautiful. Yeah, that's kind of why all of us, I think all three of us a little bit are nerding out lately on on math and physics and, and what were we talking about the other day, quantum me- quantum mechanics or something. We're going to have to do a quantum mechanics episode, a standalone quantum mechanics episode. <laughs> oh, that, that's coming, girl. Because, I mean, it's because Mark is exactly right. When you look at like, you know, um, Euler's, Euler's, um, Euler's formula e to the i pi minus one equals zero. You you look at that and that's true and that's and that's God winking at you. You know, so you can just you can totally freak out and um, and nerd out and and not to use a trite phrase, but fall fall even more in love with God when you when you find anything like this that is true. T R U E because it's Him. It's him personally. And when you see that, that dynamism, that all of these things are just, are just him hiding behind the scenes and just pulsating with him and that the entire universe is filled with this. I mean, it, it's the stuff that makes the hair stand up on your arms and it absolutely can help you advance in sanctity. Um, and I just want to put in a quick uh, mention of something of a canon that, that Dr. Matza, that speaks to all of this, that Dr. Matza was the one who actually brought this to all of our attention. And it helped me, it's 748, right? The, the faithful have the duty and the obligation to learn and know the truth about God and his holy church. And so... Yeah, that was a central part of, I think, the first podcast that maybe the first podcast that the three of us did together was that 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 canon was the cold lead the cold open for that podcast yeah absolutely and and again you you look at like father z's combox and and things like that and the sentiment that you just keep seeing over and over and over again is people trying to convince themselves that this isn't important then by this i mean the identity of the vicar of christ this isn't important it's really none of our business i'm just not going to think about this wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute if you love somebody you want to know about them you want to know the truth about them you want to know what the situation is what the true situation is how can you say i'm not i'm not interested and i don't care about the vicar of christ on earth the visible head of the church militant and i I don't care it's it's not important yes it is important because he's the vicar of christ and therefore it's it's a monumental importance because it speaks to it speaks to our lord and to his divinity if bergoglio the heretic is is the vicar of christ which he isn't but hypothetically if if he were then 
that would immediately, immediately attack the divinity of our Lord. And we're seeing that. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's frightening. It's sad. Um, it's frustrating to see that there are people in the trad Catholic world who are, who are right publicly before everyone's eyes falling into terrible apostasy. Um, one of them declared not too long ago that, you know what, the gospels were, were written and assembled by a bunch of prelates, right? There, it's, it, all those guys were bishops. They're all a bunch of power hungry bishops. How do we even know that anything that's in the gospels was even actually said. And that this is, these are people who hold themselves out as trad Catholic thought leaders. And to watch this descent into doubt and I mean, even beyond doubt into heresy and, and just sprinting towards apostasy. It, it, it's frightening, frustrating, sad, and reiterating pr prayers for everyone who's been who's scandalized by the Bergolian anti-papacy, and that's why we have to keep fighting. I mean, you look at the Canon 212 poll that happened, when was it, 10 days ago or whatever, and you look at the results and you say, okay, there are several thousand people who don't, who aren't freaking out about every little thing that Bergoglio says. There are several thousand people now we can, we can be reasonably assured of this in the English-speaking world that when Bergoglio, you know, denies the divinity of Christ or ratifies mortal sin or denies the existence of hell or, or um, tries to say that, that, that Allah and the triune Godhead are the same, um, that they're, they're not freaking out because they know, okay, I know what the situation is. That guy isn't the vicar of Christ on earth. He has no participation in the Petrine, in the Petrine office, the Petrine ministry, or the Petrine protection. And there's, and there's a peace there. You say, well, at, at least there's th those few thousand people. Now, let's get it to where it's 1.3 billion, and then when we're done with that, let's evangelize the rest of the world. Amen. Yay. <laughs> the vicar of Christ, the vicar of Christ on earth must be visible mm -hmm. because he is the standard of schism. Yep. The, the only way to know that you are in the church, in the bark, is to know who the vicar of Christ is. Yep. And he's not going to leave us high and dry, folks. Nope. He loves you. He loves you infinitely. He would die for you. He would go through his entire passion and death for you alone, not for the entire world, but for you alone, personally, individually, as many times as you assist at the Holy Mass, and let's be honest, a lot more than that, too. So um, just meditate on his passion, especially now during Lent. Stations of the Cross, I'm so blessed that uh, where I am right now, daily, five days a week stations, which is such a such a blessing you cannot meditate on our lord's passion enough um, because that is what that is the most direct um the direct vector of understanding in whatever way we can his infinite love for us is his passion it's uh and yeah just, vector communi communication and mm -hmm. learn to listen yep and uh that just if i could throw in a shameless uh, little plug here um, I, I'm in on March 25th, the mm. feast of the Annunciation. I'm going to be starting my my online course, Body of Christ versus Body of Satan, 
And that's one of my main goals for doing this uh, during Lent Easter is to try to encourage myself uh, first and foremost and then everybody else to um, love God for his own sake, you know, mm. not for what he can do for me, <laughs> but uh, to, to live the way Christ did it. Christ did everything that he did. He did out of, out of love for the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, with you know no no thought to himself, and that's what we need to do, um, because because it, it, God, we're, God, it's owed to God. <laughs> yeah, we don't need any other reason to do it. No quid pro quo, just pure adoration for adoration's sake, not wanting, expecting anything back. That's that's. Actually, I think that's a very, very advanced step in the road to sanctity is really being able to say that you're loving him with with absolutely no request for anything in return. And of course, the 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 moral of the story is, is if you're able to reach that point that, of course, you're going to just get super abundant grace and you're just moving higher and higher and higher in the beatific vision. So it's it's a it's a self-feeding circle but it's it's absolutely true it's it has to be adoration just pure adoration of him because he is and in and of himself that's that's it because he is infinite good infinite beauty infinite truth infinite love infinite justice infinite mercy and you are just over to the side and all that and all you and all of the church triumphant all the angels all the saints including our lady everyone is just we're going to spend all of eternity in a state of complete and total adoration of him. And no, it's not going to be boring. I can promise you that. Amen. Well, we're at an hour 42. Okay. Time for the wrap up. I think so. Any last words, Dr. Matza? Uh, I have only one life to give for my country. <laughs> Okay, then. Feedback. The email address for the show, if you have suggestions, is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Ann's benefactors, at least one mass every day, plus one requiem mass every week for everyone who died in the previous week. doesn't matter if you died from, well, it doesn't matter what you died from. A requiem mass is offered for everyone. Uh, who died in the past week, please pray for these and all priests as things accelerate down the road here, folks. It's going to get tougher and tougher on everyone, but especially mm-hmm. the priests um, now that, uh, well, hopefully the public sacrifice is coming back in, mo- in most places now and things are becoming a little less restrictive depending on the area that you're in. But uh, Satan's forces are out and about. And by the way, that's another thing that you will learn to recognize with ever greater clarity. You know, we're talking about the joy in finding Jesus and seeing God in, in everyday life in, in the world as you go about your business. Well, you get taught to recognize uh, the enemy as well, and you can see him a lot more clearly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, where was I? The Hard Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you've got some value out of this or previous podcast and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com slash donate for more information. And as always, even though he's not on this recording, if he weren't editing, and boy, did he have a job to do editing Mm -hmm. the last one. We didn't quite get our, we weren't quite nerdy enough the last time, and he he needed to do a lot of work himself. So he uh, processing, perfecting, and publishing the recorded audio. You wouldn't be hearing it right now. Um, You almost aren't hearing it right now because we had some interesting difficulties 
uh, at the beginning, uh, trying to just get the recording going. So, and then we uh, said the St. Michael prayer and we called down the Holy ghost and, uh, looks like we're going to make it. looks like we're going to make it. <laughs> looks Super like nerd. we made it. <laughs> Super nerd also keeps Ansight going against all cyber, th- cyber threats, foreign and, d- and domestic. So, uh, um, please visit super, supernerdmedia.com slash donate. And now Anne does her thing for Matthew 17.20. Matthew 17.20, pray every day without ceasing and fast twice a week if you can. Fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living vicar of Christ since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, not rooting for anybody's death, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And likewise, that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger um, repent of anything that he might need to repent of. We're all sinners. Um, Die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, not rooting for his death, not rooting for anyone's death, and that he someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. Pray for us. Virgin most powerful. Pray for us. Pray for us. Okay, folks, until next time, I'm Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless.